Yes, it is the first anniversary, one-year anniversary of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and you, lucky people, are here for the the first time we've ever done the fourth live recording of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and you are here. You're making part of history, and we want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Uh, we have a great, hopefully, we hope it's a great podcast for you guys, uh, talking about the church. Uh, my name is Keith Giles. I'm one of your hosts. I'm the author of Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible, published by Choir Publishing. And I'm joined here by my two esteemed colleagues and friends, Jamal and Matt. Introduce yourselves, guys. Say hi. Hi, guys. <clears throat> my name is Jamal Chivanji, and uh, it's a pleasure to be at the uh, fourth, first time that we are at the fourth um, edition of this live Heretic Happy Hour recording. Just like to say congratulations to, speaking of, we're going to be talking about the church. I wanted to say congratulations to the Ohio State Buckeyes for beating Rutgers 53-3 today. Oh, Rutgers. Big deal. And I'm Matt DeStefano, um, the third member of the trilogy, or Trinity. Trinity. Here. What, Trinity. Not the trilogy. <laughs> and just flew down from Chico, California. Um, excited to be here. Uh, before we get into things, I want to take one second and read you a word from our sponsor, and it's a blog that I used to write for, and I think they're amazing. Are we still doing that? Are we still? I don't know. It's on the list. So. Okay. It's on the list. We're going to do it today, it. so you're welcome, Dan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Dan. Dan Wilkinson's the editor. He's like uh, the unfundamentalist uh, uh, group blog, and they're a blog focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and they're dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online at facebook.com slash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalist.com. And that's with an S. So if that sounds like something you'd be into, go subscribe to their blog. It's free. We have blogs too, by the way. We have blogs too. Yeah, so have, if yeah. you're, But if you're going to choose one, choose our blogs over them. Yeah, don't. don't <laughs> first look at ours, and then when you're finished, then you can go read theirs. Yeah. Right, right. Also, we'd like to say just, uh, again, thank you to our host, uh, Sidecar Donuts. Yeah, give my yes. Uh, yes. And Jason, Jason Clearworth, thank you so much for just, just all that you guys do for us. It's such a blessing to be able to, to conduct these live podcast shows here in your space, your office space. So if you guys are listening to the podcast at home, look up Sidecar Donuts, go get a donut. It's not just a company, even though it is a company, it's a company that's actually making an impact in people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, for a, a variety of reasons, plus it's probably the best donuts you'll ever you'll ever eat. Yeah, no quality, joke. quality yes, no joke. product. So absolutely, yeah. Come check them out. Check the website out. Go get a donut. I'm eating one right now. Yeah, yeah. Jamal, don't you have something to announce finally on the show? Oh, uh, let me see. Um, I think we have an announcement. There's finally. What? <laughs> hey, who told you? <laughs> Someone leaked it. Someone leaked it up. Cats out of the bag, guys. We have a hotline. We yeah. have a hotline. Woo! Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, and uh, the, the hotline, basically it's a number that you can call anytime. I mean, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Here night. Um, you can, you know, you can call it because if, if no operator's there, you know, there'll be a voicemail. You can actually text it. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually have received, I believe, um, 
Give him the number. A, uh, oh, let me give you the Someone number. Someone I want to call number. right now. Yeah, let me, let me see. The number is 2403-HERESY or 240-343-7379. And I believe we had uh, somebody who heard about this hotline somehow, and they called the number uh, within the last week or two, and they left a message. So can we cue that up? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, this is Casey from Michigan. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know that I love the podcast. Um, I think the... The example that you guys show of unity amongst diversity of, of thoughts and ideas is just inspiring to me. Um, I also wanted to throw a little question out there for you. Uh, I was listening to episode 15 about being a wretch, and uh, especially Keith and Jamal seem to be going back and forth on the idea of what our nature is as humans. And... I wanted to throw a question or an idea and see if you guys could talk about it a bit. Um, what if instead of being having a sin nature or something like that, we have a a good nature, a nature uh, found in Christ, but we often can forget about this nature, and that's when we move into um, making decisions that lead to sin. And stuff like that. So, yeah, I was just wondering, what if it instead of a, you know, fall from grace or an original sin, we have an original forgetting or a forgetting of grace that leads to all of the chaos that's in the world. So, anyway, thanks again for the podcast. I love it. And uh, keep up the good work, guys. Bye. Cool. All right. <clears throat> well... What do you think about that, his take on that? Well, first of all, <clears throat> we appreciate the call from the caller from Michigan, mm -hmm. even though he's from Michigan. It's okay. Is, um, that, is that okay? It's okay. Yeah. Um, it's probably why it took a little, you know, uh, yeah. it took a little while. Yeah, I'm sure. To, um, you know, <laughs> it's a great, what do you, you know, I, I actually like how he put that. Um, I, th I think he, his proposition was that we have, our truest nature is our Christ nature, is our, is our good, holy, pure image of God nature. That's our truest nature. But then there's a, a part of us that doesn't know who we are. And so when we, when we live from a place where we are ignorant or we've been lied to, that's really the key. We've, a lot of us have been lied to about who we are. I believe we've been lied to just through circumstances, um, I think a lot of us come into the world with an inherent sense of deficiency. We feel that we're lacking. We feel that we don't quite measure up. There's something missing. We need to do more, be more than we actually are. And then religion comes along and puts sacred language around that and says, yeah, yeah, it's actually true. It creates theology behind it, but it's all a lie. So we've been lied to about who we are. We've actually not been told the truth about who we are. So um, I believe that when we live from the lie of who we are, then that's what really where all sin comes from. It comes from this place of feeling like you lack or that you're not, you don't quite measure up. And then you do things to try to measure up, which then leads to all the problems that we see in the world. But if you truly knew who you were and lived from that place, you, we would all live like Jesus because I believe Jesus is the example of a human who knew who he was mm -hmm. and he came to tell us who we are. Yeah, and this is if you're if you're listening at home and you're playing the drinking game, this is time to take a shot because I'm going to agree with Jamal, um, and this is something that he and I I think maybe all three of us agree on this one. 
Um, and if you listen to that episode 15 that he, re- he referenced, I think it's a wretch like me. Mm. We kind of went after this whole wretch, uh, uh, this wretch theology, this worm theology that pervades so much of uh, Christianity. You just call it Calvinism. Or, or Cal- some people call it, yeah. Some people call it, yeah, Calvinism or Reformed theology. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just that. So basically, my, my only reaction to what he's saying is uh, I, I'm totally cool with his suggested definition because anything's better than the idea that we're all wretches and worms and, uh, you know, there's no good in me and all that stuff. I, I think anything anything that moves away from that towards something that, that assumes the goodness and uh, and that the and admits that, hey, everyone makes mistakes, everybody falls short, but that's not your identity. That's not who you are, sure. right? I think on that podcast I said something like, everybody takes a crap, but is that who you are? You know, you, you probably... You, you probably, I think you said poop. You I said poop, yeah. Everybody okay. poops when they... But we're not poopers. Yeah, everybody poops several times a day. So is that who you are? I mean, that's, that's all you ever do, right? No, that's not who I am. That's not my identity. Just because I do that sometimes, that's not my identity. And, and the same thing, like, oh, once in a while you sin, you fall short. Yeah, we all do, but that's not who I am. That's not my identity, right? My identity is in Christ. And you said that we all poop every day, and I said I actually know somebody who doesn't poop every day. Well, I will pray for you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll just add two, two quick things, or two, two seconds of something quick. Jamal, you said something a couple podcasts ago about how sin is like, like trying to do the good in a misdirected way. Yeah, yeah. Which I was talking to Adam Erickson. He's a writer at the Raven Foundation. He pointed out to me, he was like, well, you realize Jamal's quoting Augustine, essentially. So this is... <laughs> Heresy! <laughs> wow, so Augustine was, said something good. Yeah, you know, Augustine has some good things. <laughs> I'm going to have so to rethink that now because yeah. you said it was Augustine. Now I'm going to rethink that whole thing. Maybe that's wrong. So yeah, we can, we can shit on Augustine, but he had some good things. I think this is one of them. Um, I, I think we're, I think essentially we're always trying to do the good, even in our most misdirected ways. Totally. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something to the effect, like we never do as great an evil as we do in the name of God. And mm-hmm. it's like, even when we're doing great evil, we're doing it in the name of something we call good. It's just, yeah. it's, you know, like if we're trying to point the moon and we start a little bit off, like we might be an inch off within a foot, but by the time we get to the moon, we're way the hell out there. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that's, our true nature, if we're made in the image of God and God is good, then our true nature is goodness. So we, but we do have evil and suffering in the world and, and we are a little misdirected. So it's that sort of tension in the paradox of the thing. Our true nature is good and we have this, we still have this evil inclination. So that, you know, we get that devil on the shoulder, uh, sure. angel on the shoulder sort of thing. So, but I like what the caller said. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, caller. Do we have another? We have a text. Could we keep the text? Okay. So the text says, quote, Hey, so Jesus was, parentheses, well, still is, uh, fully God and fully human, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, dot, dot, dot. So is being like Jesus being fully human and fully God? Question mark? That's a great question. I kind of just feel like I'm going to default to, you need to answer this first before anybody says anything else. You just go first, Jamal. This is an unprecedented moment. (laughs) This is is a monumental moment right here. You know, personally, I'm just speaking personally, I do believe that to be like Jesus is not only to embrace our humanity, but to embrace our divinity. Because if, and Christians do this all the time, I think one of the biggest mistakes that Christians make is they say, well, Jesus... 
you know, you name it. He did this or he did that because he's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity, which then says, but you're not like that. I mean, you know how many times I've been told, well, you're not actually like Jesus because you're sinful. And Jesus is not because he's God in the flesh. Now, I think the only difference between me and Jesus is that I have, I am deconstructing the lies about my identity and he was not. I think it's the only difference, but in essence, we're the same. So Jesus is a mirror. If you want to know what God is like, you have to look at Jesus. If you want to know what humans are like, you have to look at Jesus. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that human beings are divine. Our, our, our divinity is precisely and, and, and pri primarily expressed through humanity. That's why human beings exist in the first place, to be the image and likeness of the divine. If you want to know what God is like, you have to look at people. People have forgotten who they are, so it's been like, oh, well, don't look at people because that's not how you'll know what God is like. But Jesus came to restore that and go, no, no, actually, that's exactly the way you'll know what God is like. So I'll be the human you look to. Be like me. We can because we are just like him. As John the Apostle says, as he is in this world, so are we. And who was he in this world? He was the God-man. And as he is in this world, so are we. It means you are divine and expressed through human flesh. I know that's crazy. We are spiritual beings first. We have, we're having a human experience, as the French philosopher mm -hmm. said. Yeah. We're having a human experience, oh, oh, oh. but we are, we are spiritual <laughs> beings. And what is spirit? God is spirit. So we are not, you can't, I wouldn't, I don't think it'd be correct for me to say I am God, but it, I think it would be just as incorrect for me to say that I am other than God. That doesn't, I'm not the totality of God, but I certainly am the expression, the image and likeness of the divine. Mm -hmm. Just like Jesus can say that, so can I. That's a really hard thing to chew off, especially from what we've been told. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe it. I love it. it. Makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel good about you. Yep. Love it. Cool. Matt? Yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this. No, I <laughs> I, I have nothing more to add. Like I, I think that's I, I will say that I, I still think that Jesus is an icon that I can look toward. Yeah, I would agree with and that. And say that, although although you said something about, like, we didn't see a deconstruction of Jesus. Like, we don't have the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Like, I'm, I'm fully okay with Jesus deconstructing right. some of the stuff that maybe he was taught. I don't, I don't think, I, I, can't, I can't imagine a first century Jew named Jesus not getting some stuff as a youngster, as a 20-something, going like, nah. I, or, or, or believing it and then eventually having to wrestle with it. Yeah, question it. And, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, right. totally cool. I mean, I'm totally cool with that happening in Jesus' life, yeah. although we can't be at all certain about anything but because we, we have no history yeah. account of, of, I don't know, the first 30 years, other than some vague reference of Jesus as a 12-year-old in the temple and his mother. And there's the statement know. about how he grew in stature and faith or whatever. Sure. There, there's that, and that could be the, the only little hint of a reference yeah. of, of what, but what we do know is, is that <clears throat> when we do, when Jesus does arrive on the scene, starting at the Sermon on the Mount, everything he's saying and everything he's doing and everything he's about is completely subverting the existing religious system and, and teaching of the time. Sure. Right. But, and you know that because the Pharisees' reaction to him wasn't, oh, good job, yes, amen, brother, we agree with you. It's how can we kill this guy, right? And why? Because he was going completely against the grain of everything they stood for and were about. So however Jesus got there, he was there one way or the other. He got there. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree, again, take a drink at home. 
with what uh, Matt and Jamal said. I agree with Matt probably on that caveat that I think I do think Jesus is meant to be our blueprint. He's our um, he's our lodestar for uh, how we would use him as an example uh, uh, to follow. But right? I think I think the fact that we can use him as an example is evidence that we are like him. Right. No, and I and I agree with no. you again. Sorry, people at home. I also agree with you. Uh, <laughs> Like I, I, the idea that uh, I reject that notion that well Jesus was the Son of God therefore uh, you know I can't we're not expected to do those things right. that that goes completely against everything Jesus said and even what the apostles said the the the, the idea that we see over and over again reemphasized by Jesus and by the apostles and by even by Peter is the idea that no yes that's what grace is all about grace empowers you to live a life. The way Jesus did, and this and is that's the point. That totally, and I think this is where the the founding fathers, so to speak, of Christianity have really screwed us up with some of the creeds. You know, and one of the things I hate about the creed, the Apostles' Creed. What do you hate about the creed? I freaking hate one of these one line that says that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. That is such bull. It's such bull. Not the only begotten Son of God. It's one of many. He's not the only one. Like, there's never been. Who are you? Who do you think we are? Right. We not, we're just like the secondary, uh, we're like the leftover adopted children that kind of get included in, but we're not quite the stature. So God really loves Jesus. You are okay. You kind of ride in on the coattails. Yeah. Are we not just as children of the divine? Yeah. And, and new, the New Testament reinforces over and over again that we are the children of God. Uh, totally. Now, it would say because Jesus was the firstborn of the dead, the rest of us are now are also totally. the, the, the following, the progeny of that. Uh, and so, yes, it, it's not the idea that he's the only and there's no other. No, he's the first and there are, and the rest of us are continuing. We are all children of God, sons and daughters of God, right? Totally, totally. Uh, and that that is reinforced all through uh, totally. And first in the sense of example, in the sense of that, but yeah, I, it's an interesting point. I'm being told we need to move along. And so uh, <laughs> it's time to also let you know that we have a Patreon page. If uh, For those of you who just can't get enough of the Heretic Happy Hour, we have a Patreon page. And those of you who support uh, the podcast financially, we, we, we record bonus content and sometimes little bonus interview clips and things like that and post, you know, cool stuff. And that's on uh, patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, as you might guess. And, um, and we also have some cool swag and stuff here available as well. Um, and we all, oh, I, I have to mention, um, we are, we hit our first goal on the Patreon page. Thank you very much, everyone who contributed. And we are going to be making a Heretic Happy Hour board game called The Heretic's Journey, a slip, The Slippery Slope. It's kind of a Candyland-themed game where you start off in hell and you work your way through Perfect Pastor's Pasture and Calvin's Corner and things like that. And you end up in, who knows where, Deconstruction Land or something at the end. And uh, it's so much fun. Um, there's a guy who's helping us design the board. He's an artist. His name is Todd. He's right here. Raise your hand, Todd. Thank you, Todd. And, and for those of you who are adventurous, we're going to have a little intermission in, the, in that office behind you back there. We have a little mock board game. It's, that's not the actual design, but you, there's a, it's sort of a, a version of it. You could play if you want to just kind of get an idea how it's going to go. And we're excited to release that, hopefully coming up in time for Christmas. It's hopefully. a perfect Christmas gift. Yes. All right. Yes. Um, are we doing now the Heretic of the Week? Yeah, let's get into it. It's the Heretic of the Week. All right. Wow. So um, a few seconds before the show began, we decided to have a conversation about who should this be? And so our, <laughs> since our podcast topic is the church and what is church, um, we, we unanimously agreed that the heretic of the week should be a guy named Frank Viola. Raise your hand if you know who Frank Viola is. 
Okay, put your hand down. Raise your hand if you've read a little red book called Pagan Christianity. All right, there you go. There's a good number of those. And I think for many people, uh, Frank Viola's book, Pagan Christianity, was probably a gateway drug for many Christians that led them into uh, their path of deconstruction. I think, Ralph, you would say so. That, that's true for you, right? I was already doing house church when that book came out, but I was, what I was doing at the time was writing my own book about house church, and I was about halfway through writing it. And when I read that book, I almost gave up. I was like, why bother? Because this is the book. It's the perfect textbook. There's so many footnotes in this crazy book. Um, and it's an excellent book. So those of you who haven't read it, essentially what the book is, is a uh, looking at the history of Christianity, looking at much of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, what was the church or the ecclesia like in the first century? And, and over, the, over time, first, second, third century, leading into Cyprian and later Constantine, how did the church basically end up the way it is today, which is kind of jacked up? Uh, and so his book documents how very, a lot of, uh, beginning with Constantine to, to modern times, how a lot of pagan practices got incorporated into Christian worship, um, things that we take for granted now, like uh, the order of service, the way everyone sits and faces forward. There's someone in the front who gives an oratory, uh, the music, and all these kind of things that we think, oh, that's what church is. But when you read First uh, Corinthians or you read, you know, any of the New Testament epistles, you don't see that. Like, you know, and we're going to get into that a little bit in our in our podcast. So Frank Viola is somebody who, with that book, uh, radically changed so many people's ideas of church. And I know people, I even know pastors of churches who read that book and are no longer pastors. They were just like, you know what? I can't participate anymore. I can't be a part of this system anymore. And because they just didn't under, they had no understanding of, of, of how we got here and what they were, what they were doing. So um, anyway, I don't know what else. Do you want to say something about the book or? And I think you summed it up pretty, pretty well. I, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about, I think for the listeners, if you know, if you've heard of pagan Christian, if you've read it or if I've read, I know I read it, it was really uh, instrumental in my journey. It really, you know, rocked me. Um, kind of confirmed what I was kind of coming to under, you know, my spirit, I kind of came to some of these conclusions, but I didn't have like the language or the, um, the facts historically to back it up, but pagan Christianity, it's written by Frank Villa and co-authored by, uh, George, George Barna and did a lot of the research behind it, but basically it's meant to expose a lot of the hypocrisy of the evangelical no, I mean, I would even specifically the the Protestant world because the, you know in Protestant Christianity people say, well, we do think the Bible is our source of authority. So the Bible is our authority. We base everything on the Bible, and of course, he's saying, well, actually, <laughs> no, <laughs> actually, most of what the church does it has nothing to do with the Bible. It actually is more repackaged even uh, Roman Catholicism, yeah. um, and that's just repackaged. It, you know, the Protestant Reformation was really just kind of window dressing on the same problems. It, it, most of the practices of the church have nothing to do with the Bible. It's tradition so it does a great job at that me personally just speaking personally after having gone down this road and followed the conclusions of this book i think the the error that the book promotes people to this is my view is that it teaches us to say well let's get back to the way that the bible does describe church community let's get back to the first century church model as a as our model because that's the ultimate model and let's follow that 
and that's where I think it gets that's where it gets messy, and I think it really causes lots of problems. And the reason I know that that's the aim is because there were subsequent books that came out after pagan Christianity that then talk about here's how you do it, here's how you do church, and it kind of paints this picture of us. This is the New Testament model. This is the little box, and it's and to my opinion, it creates the very it actually adds to the problem. It creates another thing uh, that you have to actually eventually deconstruct out of as well. But that the premise is is that if we if we follow this pattern, then we will be just like the Acts Church, as long as we just do these things, and you'll be like that. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, I think it. I think this kind of segues perfectly into our, our topic of what is the church, because the I mean the the church in the, if you see in, in the Acts of the Apostles and you see in the early epistles I mean that was obviously in that first century context and they had their world in which they were living in and they modeled their churches in this way and I, I thought it was funny that on our notes we put that I was going to introduce the question what is the church and I'm sitting here like get ready for the bleep button because I have no fucking clue like I like I, I know historically I I I understand you know, the historic church and, and I've studied the patristics and I, and I've looked at all these things, but in, <laughs> maybe I'm still embroiled in my cynicism from, and we talked about deconstruction in some of the last pod podcasts, the last live show and, you know, our experiences with the church and feeling like we've been ostracized and kicked out and scapegoated. Like I'm sitting here, like, I don't know how to introduce what is the church other than asking the question, what is the church? Because I kind of would like to know, like I under, in my mind, it's like those, it, I would rather call a Buddhist who loves me unconditionally a part of my church than those who are going to say, you have to believe X, Y, and Z. And, and if you don't, or if you question those things, or if you push back at all, then you're not a part of our church. Well, then am I kicked out of the church, capital C? I'm, I'm not sure. So maybe I would just introduce what is the church and kick the can down the road and ask these guys. You're because not, you can't, you can't uh, opt out of this conversation. So no, I'm not going to opt gonna, out, but I will, I will say I'm sort of an agnostic when it comes to what the church is or what it should be and what mm -hmm. role it plays in our lives. Yeah. And so I'm still at a place where at least my wife and I, you know, I, She's not here. She'd speak for herself, and I won't say what she believes, but as far as a married couple with a daughter, like we don't participate in what the traditional notion of the church is, even in <laughs> gasp, egads, even in what I would say is like I'm sure Keith's home church that he always talks about, take a shot, um, even though I mentioned it. Sorry, You talked no, about not I'm, me. So, sorry, no, don't take I a will shot. in a minute, but yeah, it's coming. <laughs> I'm sure that's a great model. I just haven't experienced that. So I'm sort of like the agnostic who introduces the topic and then kicks sure. the can down the road. But I, I'll have some comments, but it's one of those things where I'm still kind of on the fence on what the church even is. Yeah. It's a tough one for me. Well, I'm, I'm excited that we're talking about this topic because I do know Jamal and I have some similar DNA in the sense that I think I know that he and I um, you know, have had this experience being part of house churches in the past, and he and I know some of the same people, um, and are aware of some of this sort of. There's sort of this house. There's sort of this organic church or house church or simple church. All those are interchangeable terms 
uh, New Testament church. They, they are interchangeable terms for this sort of fringe, underground, sort of weird movement of people that are trying to do church like Jamal said, sort of this first century model of church. The problem is no one can agree on what that looks like, and right. they're all radically different. Right. And on the one hand, you could say, and I would, I would say, like I've visited lots of house churches over the years um, in different places, different states even, and um, every single one of them is completely different than the other. Not one of them was exactly the same. And that's good or bad, right? I mean, so everyone that I visited, I've, I've, I've sat through it, and there's been moments during the meeting where I'll say, "Oh, that was kind of cool. I like how they did communion," or "Oh, that was cool. I like how they handled that," or "Oh, this is that's a cool idea. I like that." But uh, there's been just as many, probably not, if not more, experiences of that was weird. Or, well, that's crazy. That's stupid. I would never do that. So, um, you know, there's there's just these radical things. And again, my wife and I, Wendy and I, started a house church uh, about 11 years ago. 11 years ago. And um, and for us, it's been incredible. It's been the most radical thing I've ever experienced in my life. I always say it's the best thing I've ever done with the word church on it. Um, but it's unlike any other house church or other gathering I've ever heard of in my life. So like, I'm not the pastor. We have no human pastor, literally. I'm not kidding you. I'd make no decisions. I'm not the boss. I'm not in charge. I can't make anyone in this group do anything. And believe me, I tried. It's not my church. And, and people also assume that, oh, everyone in, in Keith's house church, it's not Keith's house church, by the way, uh, but they assume everyone that comes to our house church, oh, I bet they all read Keith's books and they read his blogs. And oh, Keith, no, most of them have never read my books. Never, they don't read my blogs. They don't listen to this podcast. It's sort of like, you have a podcast? You have, you have, it's, it's, that has nothing to do with anything. So uh, it's not about me, and that's very much on purpose. It's, I, I did not want our house church to be the Keith church or people revolving like fans of my fan club. Um, and so uh, we, we don't have a statement of faith. Uh, we don't have any formal sort of liturgy or anything. We have sort of a loose thing we do uh, that's evolved over the years. Um, and, and again, it's the most, uh, we love it. I mean, it's, it's the best thing, again, we've ever done, but it's so different. And because it's so different, People that come into the group, a lot of people will come and visit and check it out. They, they think they, people think it's a Bible study. It's not a Bible study. People think it's what happens on Sunday morning in that building over there, but shrunk down into my living room. No, that's not, no one gives a sermon. There's no youth pastor. There's no worship leader. It's not, doesn't do that. So, you know, it's, I can tell you all these things that it's not, but it's very difficult to tell somebody what it is because it's not something any, anyone really has ever experienced until they come into our group. So, um, can I explain to you what we kind of do? Is that okay? Can I take a second? And yeah, then I will please. shut up and let them talk, I promise. Um, but I just want to give you guys a picture of what we do. And again, what we do this because we're doing our best. Uh, and again, I'm sure we're not perfect in this. But what we're, we're doing our best, as Jamal said, to sort of follow what we, what we as we understand uh, the ecclesia to be what's described in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, and looking back at other early church documents, uh, and I've got some things I wanted to read from Tertullian and some other guys as they're describing what a gathering looked like, okay? So what, here's what we do, okay? In, in general, what we do, and Wendy, correct me if I forget something. Um, it, it, essentially, what we do when people show up, people get there in the morning, we meet on Sunday mornings, like around uh, 10.30, people start showing up. Uh, there's always some, you know, fellowship hanging out. How you doing? How was your week? Blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, okay, let's kind of get going. Once everyone's there, let's get going. And then we spend about 
20 minutes, maybe 35, maybe sometimes 40 minutes. It kind of depends. There's no, no one's got a stopwatch. Uh, where we just sit in silence, frankly. And we're not inviting the Spirit to come. We're not asking Jesus to come because he's already there. He's been there all along. It's more about us um, recognizing that he is there, that he's always there. He'll never leave us or forsake us to him or gathered him in the midst. He never left. But it's more about us just orienting ourselves to say Jesus is in, he's in, the, he's in the place, he's in the room. Um, and then much as you would do if right this second Jesus walked in that door physically, we could all see him and he stood in the middle of this room, you wouldn't give a crap about anything I had to say or anybody else had to say, what would we do? Jesus! Oh my gosh, Jesus, wow! We would all talk to Jesus. We would, we would, you know what I mean? We would be gathered around Jesus. So that's what we try to do. We spend time, again, recognizing that he is in the room, and then we act the way we would act if he was in the room. So if we talk, we don't talk to each other. About, hey, did you see that movie? Oh, dude, dude, see what happened? Would you hear what Trump said? It was crazy. No. Well, we don't talk to each other because Jesus is in the room, right? We talk to Jesus. If we speak, it's to him. If we pray, it's to him. If we read a scripture, it's about him. If we sing a song, it's to him. It's, we are, it's a Jesus-focused meeting. And our, and our goal is to have a meeting with Jesus, not a meeting about Jesus. Uh, and again, that's not easy. I want to tell you, we've been doing this 11 years. It's really only been the last three or four years. We've even gotten close to this. So we've actually, we're all on the same page. It only takes one person who doesn't get this to just scratch the record and we're off in a tangent, right? So it's really difficult, and we've, we've gotten to the point where everyone gets it, we understand what we're doing and why we're there. And so we spend as much time as possible focused on Jesus. Again, no one's, no one's clicking anything and saying time to change gears, but we just sort of sense when it's, we're shifting. Um, and typically out of that singing, waiting, talking to Jesus, Jesus-focused time, uh, we practice what's, what many house churches, now this part many house churches are used to, which is the open share time which is where we encourage everybody to, to have something to share that encourages the body, right? That 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, when you, get, when you come together, brothers, each of you has a word, a hymn, a tongue, an instruction, interpretation, etc. So the idea is that everybody, young, old, male, female, we don't care, uh, everyone has a chance to share anything of Christ that they, that they want to. Um, again, if it's, for, if, it, if it's something that edifies the body, if it helps us all in our and our desire to follow Jesus. Um, again, that's our low barrier. We have no statement of faith, so anyone who's in that room has to be someone who is willing to spend about four hours focused on Jesus. Uh, we know right away if someone's serious about that or not, right? Most of them within half an hour are like, man, how long is this going to go? Um, four hours, oh my gosh. So you either want to be there, and you want to be focused on Jesus that long with everyone else, or you do not. And it's sort of like it's, it's easy to, for people to like opt in or opt out. Like, this is for me, not for me. Um, but we have the open share time. No one's compelled to share. If they have something to share, they're welcome to. If they don't, no problem. Um, we'll take time to pray for one another. If someone needs prayer, ministry time, something like that. Uh, if we're at meeting at our house, Wendy will usually bake some awesome. We have a bread maker. She'll make bread. We'll have fresh bread and have communion together. And we usually eat the entire loaf. It's awesome. And, um, is it, is it gluten-free? And No, it's not gluten-free. I have celiac, so I'm excluded. You, I'm not, I'm we not would included. provide something special for you. We would, know, we, we've done you that. Know. No, we've done that before. We have people in our group before that, were, that had celiacs, and we made something special for them. We have like a whole menu for celiac stuff. Uh, and then we'll have a potluck meal together. Um, by the way, very much the open share time is very much like a potluck. I think the potluck is a good metaphor for that, for that open share time. I always say in the open share time, sorry I'm talking so much. 
I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to the, to the, to the end here, so let you guys talk. Um, I really am. So, okay. Uh, but, but the potluck model is this sort of idea of like, if I invited you guys to my house for a potluck, okay? And he brought a box of saltines and you brought half a sandwich and you brought like some old salad that was like a week old and you guys just forgot to bring anything and you know, you brought some Kool-Aid. We would have a pretty crabby potluck, right? But if I invited you guys to my house for a potluck and the minute I invited you to the potluck, you start thinking, oh my gosh, what can I make? Oh, you know, my grandmother had this awesome spaghetti sauce. What do I need? I'm going to get the ingredients. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to get it all together again. And, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to start cooking it. And then right before, I'm going to put it together. And I'm going to put it in the oven. I'm going to take it out of the oven. Oh, man, that smells so good. And I'm going to walk into Keith's house. And when I walk in the house, they're all, everyone's going to turn and go, what is that? Oh, my gosh, this is great. And they're going to eat it. And I'm going to watch them eat it and enjoy it. And I'm going to go, yes, this is so great. I got to bless them. That's what we do. That's what open share time is. In other words, I'm encouraging everyone who comes to bring something of a blessing that's like that. Most of the time, and, and you maybe can relate, when I went to traditional church, and I was a pastor at traditional church for many years, um, you drive to church either driving thinking or driving home thinking, either I hope I get blessed today, or you're driving home going, nah, I wasn't really blessed today. In house church, it should be this way. You're driving to church thinking, I hope I get to be a blessing today. If everyone comes expecting to bless everyone else, guess what? We all leave blessed. Everyone gets a blessing. And I believe in 1 Corinthians 12, we can get into that a little bit later. I think that's what Paul is talking about. The whole idea of a body is not one guy doing everything. It's every single one of us being necessary and important. You matter. You're important. If my liver stopped working right now, my whole body would know it. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Right? Every member of the body is so important. Everyone is necessary. Everyone matters, and we need you. The body, we all need one another to work, okay? And so that's the model we've been, we've been uh, operating under for the last 11 years. And for me, it's been beautiful because, again, I've, I'm not the leader. I'm not the pastor. I'm not controlling it. It's, it's, so much of what I've done is, is, is this. I don't control anything. I don't control the agenda. I don't control how things go. And many, many times, and I'm almost done, and many, many times, after a meeting, I'll say, that sucked. Now, you know what? I got nothing out of that. And you know what? That's okay because it's not my church. And it's not, and that maybe that Sunday it wasn't for me. It wasn't about me. Awesome. That's great. As long as the people that needed to get blessed got blessed. Awesome. Because it, again, it isn't about me and it isn't about my agenda or my ego or any of that. So that's what we've been doing. But I, but I know many people in house churches that it's not their experience. They're still experiencing some control they're still experiencing someone or some system that's put in place that sort of attempts, I think, and I, I know this is true because I've seen it and I've experienced it when I visited other places. There's these systems and things that are set in place. I know it's intended for good, but what it ends up creating is something toxic where it's not spirit-led, it's still man-led. And, uh, and I'll also say every house church I know that's been planted with that model doesn't exist anymore because they die within a couple of years. Because again, I think it's quenching what the Holy Spirit wants to do, which is to be in charge of it and leading it and having it be Christ as the center of it. So sorry, that's my speech. And uh, I'll let you guys talk now. <laughs> you, said a, you said a lot of things. Um, Did I? Did I no, just a little bit. We're almost out of time. Okay. I, I would say, I guess my questions then would be like, Okay, is that the model of the New Testament? And it sounds like in some ways it is. 
in some ways, obviously, you're working within a, like a 21st century context, and sure. it's always going to manifest different than a first century context. That's fine. Would it? I would say then, like I, I me personally, I live in Chico, which is about eight hours drive away. I'm obviously not going to go to your church, <laughs> right? And I would say if I'm being totally frank i'm not sure i'd go to your church if i lived here right. simply that's and, and that has nothing to do with you no, no that's fine. like it has all to do with me and my situation yeah. I, I guess my question would be am i still a part of the quote-unquote oh, yeah. church yes like i would say what is the difference between your church and what would yours be the church and would this what we're doing right here not yes. be the church yes. or when i hang out with my buddhist best friend every yeah. weekend is that not the church? Yeah. Even though he would not profess the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, sure. or would say, "I want to set up a house church like they did in in the Acts of the Apostles," you know. Well, it it still seems church to me if you're if you're sitting there loving other people and yeah. trying to be. I want to be. A, I want to share my life in love with you. Who cares what we call it? Right. Right. Yeah. No. And I, I man, that that's awesome. I'm glad you brought that up because I think what I'm describing is a a way of gathering and a way of meeting. And right. I'm, I'm describing my experience of church. However, I agree with you that my definition of the podcast, what is church, right. has radically shifted. Like uh -huh. to me, church is basically God and the people of God. That's it. Well, who are the, the well, so my question would be, who it. are the people of God? Um. People who Jamal's, well, no, Jamal's getting close I, I, to that no, mic. No, go, go he's like, it. he's like, I got this. Yeah, <laughs> Jump in. Okay, I think I think um, for me personally, I like to. Um, I think when people think of church, they think of community. Mm -hmm. But I don't want. I think we should not do that. So the I, the idea of church, I think it's so messed up. Just like the idea, the, the word God is so so. It's got such baggage so the term church has such baggage maybe we can just put that aside for a minute and say well, let's think of community community is very natural community is not something you have to be taught community you don't need an instruction manual you don't need a owner's manual you don't need to be told the book of acts didn't read the book of acts but the folks in the book of acts they weren't reading acts <laughs> what wow it was just very natural <laughs> you know so like so, you know, they weren't, they weren't like studying the Bible. You know, one time I went to this church, one time I was a part of this church that was like, we're going to do a, you know, they, they, they loved uh, expository preaching line by line. We're going to do line by line expositional series on the book of Acts about how to do church. I'm like, wow, that's exactly not how to do it. Like, that's right. exactly <laughs> what they didn't do. Yeah, yeah. But, but we can do that. Right. But it's like this idea, like, Community isn't something complicated. Children do it all the time. Mm -hmm. We've been doing it since you're kids. You just, it just is. Now, I, when I was a kid, my brother and I, you know, we used to play house. I know that sounds weird. I have an older brother. We'd play house, and we'd, like, act like the mom and dad, you know? And we'd just, like, play house. And it would be, like, cool. Like, we'd play like this was a family. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing with the church they're playing house it's not real it's real for a moment it feels real in that moment in that setting but it leads you have it a couple hours you go it's not real come on seriously it gets real when it's just natural every day and that comes see community is something you have to learn how to perceive it's not something you create if you have to create it then it has a, it has a beginning and an ending 
It starts, it finishes. It's very localized. And then you have to decide, well, what make, and then you start have to making up, even though people say they don't have rules, well, what makes this my church versus your church? What makes this different? Where are the boundaries? All these kinds of things. There's all these boundaries. I, I, I honestly believe that everybody is the people of God. Every person is all people belong, whether they know it or not. They may not know it. It has nothing to do with what you believe. Babies belong. They don't have any beliefs. It doesn't change. It doesn't somehow now you, now you need to believe something for you to belong. All people belong. To, everybody belongs to everything because every, there's only one thing. It just all belongs. Everything belongs. <laughs> my, I, my, my friend Mike, who's, who's a Zen Buddhist, he grew up, he grew up in the church, still works for a church. <laughs> I, I, we were talking about this, and, and I said, well, he said, well, everyone is in Christ. I said, what, he said, what dis- difference does it make if they don't know it? Right. Doesn't it? Well, it doesn't make, any, it doesn't well, make any difference. Well, I, I think that's, that's another podcast. Well, no, it's another podcast. I do, think, but I do think it makes a difference it, in the person's life, yeah. right? If they, if they are aware, if they're conscious of the fact that they're in Christ, they will live a life, their life a different way. Totally. And they'll live it out of being in Christ. Totally. In that sense, I think it matters to them. Sure. Absolutely. No, I think our beliefs matters. I think it, I think it, it, it matters how we perceive ourselves. It, matters. But it may not matter in the sense of where we all end up. They don't. Right. It doesn't mean they don't belong because they don't. Matter. Right. It doesn't mean they right. don't belong. Right. It just means that yeah. I, but I, but the problem with church though is is that you do belong or don't belong. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, either see, you're a part. Every every church. I have never met a church. I don't care how healthy or who it is. I have never met a group of people that gather around an idea that don't feel like some. Oh, they're a part of our church. Well, then that means some people aren't a part of your church. That's fundamentally a problem. Well, see, that would be my question. It was like. Well, so in that sense, well, who's not a part of the church? Nobody. And people will like to make a difference with it. Well, that's the local church versus the universal church. Well, that's right. well, who's in the universal church? Right. That's what I guess. That's like that's the so question. Like, who's the in the big yeah, yeah. church? Capital C church. Yeah, and like, that's, what that's is that a, church? That is an. I don't even think they're. That is, to me, like personally, I'm just speaking personally. The capital C and little C, they're the same thing. It, it's 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 not this. The reason that church causes so many problems for people is because it's unnatural. I don't care how good your church is, how good the group, whatever it is. It may, people, people are awesome. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the people not being awesome or the, or the purpose being awesome. Give it enough time and it's going to create problems in people's lives. And the reason for that is it's the same reason that I look at, like, look in the military, people in the military. There are a lot of problems in the military. Suicides are happening at an astronomical rate. More people die of suicide in the military. Again, it's not about the military. More people die in su- by suicide in the military than in, in, in combat. Uh, PTSD is off the charts. Why? No one, I mean, a lot of people don't ask the question. Like, well, it was how we deal with it. But why is it happening in the first place? Because human beings were not meant to be in environments in which you are doing these things. We're not meant to, to be under these high-stress environments where we're killing people. It causes fundamentally problems. If you look at pe- people experience PTSD and abuse and problems in, in church settings, and this, this applies across the board. I don't care what kind of church it is. The, the only way out of that is if you're not involved. And then you're shamed for that, by the way. The less involved you are, you're shamed for that. But the more involved you get, the more problems you have. And the reason you have more problems the more involved you're in the church is because it's unnatural. It's fundamentally, it's my personal view, it's fundamentally <laughs> unnatural. It is not natural. And if I have never met 
any community that has never had those issues because to me it's fundamentally unnatural. So but, community. But I don't think I don't think our group has had. It. We've been together eleven years. I don't think we've had the kinds of issues you're talking about. But community is the only one on the face of the earth. But I think it's because we have tried so hard not to yeah. allow things that I that I've recognized over the years because before previous to this I was on staff at many different churches and I saw behind the scenes. You notice things when you're on staff at a church behind the scenes that the average person doesn't see. If money's involved, that's a huge problem. So our church gives all the money away. No one keeps a dime. We don't, use, we don't even use the money and the offering to buy donuts and coffee, nothing. It all goes, give it away to the poor, and that's it. So money's not involved. There's no 501c3. There's no bank account. There's no organization. There's nothing to protect. Um, you know what I mean? And again, I, I've taken my ego completely out of it and control out of it. I mean, in the beginning, I used to leave the room. Like we we would we would sing some songs in the beginning, a couple of years we first started, like first couple of years we started, and people would be worshiping and I would just leave the room and I wouldn't come back in until they were talking without me being there. Because I didn't want it to be about me, right? So um so I've tried really hard and and I think most of the for the most part we've 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 done something really unique sure. in that sense. Um it's not that we have of course we've had problems and we've had issues here and there, and we've learned a lot from those things. But um I, I, I want to go to the thing, well, because the, the question that Matt is asking is sort of like who's in and who's out, right? So what is church? And church in the sense of is church only Christians, mm. right? That, that's what you're saying, right? That's a, I think essentially what I'm saying is that if I, do I go to church when I go to my friend Mike's house and we have a bonfire and, and we smoke some weed and we have some wine? Is that church... And am I avoiding the problems by not even considering this church? Like we just hang out. Like, like if he doesn't have chips and salsa, I'll bring some <laughs> chips and salsa. If he doesn't have wine, I'll bring some sure. wine. He's always got weed, so we're good. Yeah. But <laughs> like, what? What? Di- like, am I just avoiding all the problems by by not calling it church? But so, is that still church? Because if you want to be literal, yeah, I, wherever I, two more are gathered, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. But we're gathered in love. We would always. I would die for this guy yeah he would die for me that's right we hang out for the last five years and we've written a book together and we talk every week like is that not more christian in the truest sense yes. than any church experience i've had like i would literally do anything for this yeah. person and his wife yeah. and he would do the same for my wife and, his, and my kid and and i don't even know if he would call himself a christian like he's he would be like, no, I'm probably so, a Buddhist if I'm a label of anything, and that's so Buddhist, but whatever. Honestly, most, I think most, when people say this is church, they're talking about a gathering. And if people who are part of the gathering are part of the church, but a gathering is not community. You may have aspects of community in the gathering, but it doesn't mean it's community. Community just is. And Fundamentally, if you associate community with a gathering, then the people who don't come to your gathering, you see as not a part of your community, and that's a problem. That's, to me, tribalism. It adds mm-hmm. to the problem in yep. the world. So community just is. I honestly think if you want to have community, and this might sound crazy. It always does. <laughs> <laughs> to have community, you don't need to go to something or be a part of something, because you already are, by the way. You just simply have to become present. When you're present, you will see that you already belong and that there are, there are community is the, the fabric and the nature of the universe. It already is. You just see it. 
and then you participate in it. It's like you don't create it. Mm-hmm. It's uncreated. It just is. That is very detrimental to people who are building organizations, mm-hmm. who are building, who, who are starting things. There are entrepreneurs. If you want to start a company, go start a company. Just don't call it church. Right. Amen to that. Hmm. Yeah, the idea of it being a franchise and not yeah, being a business is, is rampant. That's that's the huge. That that's to yeah. me the the toxic side. That's the problem in America where Christianity has become a franchise. It's become a, a career path. It doesn't make money though. You can't sell. You you can't make money off this. I not there's anymore. A, there's, it's a, dying. Yeah, there's a guy dying, like yeah. I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, we talked about Wayne Jacobson uh, before, but Wayne Jacobson is somebody who's written a lot about this. But one, I was at a gathering of his one time. And Who's it? it was Wayne Jacobson. He's oh, yeah, the one yeah, yeah, yeah. Participated in the in the Shack Project, but he talked about. You know, he, he's really big on emphasizing church as far as like pe- just people, community relationships. And they had this gathering. It was awesome. They, these were friends, people who knew each other. They just hung out together. And they were like, this is amazing. Can we do this next week? And he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, like the moment you try to like, like d- who does that? Like, so, so, so it's like, wait a minute. If you're hanging out with your friends, if you are, if you have a relationship, it's just an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not something you have to like, uh, let's try to coin this, capture it, make this thing. And that's hard because we like certainty. We like to try to program and put boundaries on it, but you can't do that. It just is. And that, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think by, by what are the things that get in the way of us viewing people as a part of our community? Beliefs are one of the things that keep other people out of our community. Yeah, if we have a belief, they have a different belief. Other things are, well, we have a meeting. You come to it and you don't. Well, then now you don't come to the meeting. You're not part of our community. That's a problem fundamentally, then it's like, okay, now we see people as in and out. What if you just saw people, accepted people where they were, recognized where you were being built, where you were being connected, saw that naturally, and just kind of participated in it? And then that's your community. It may be one other person. Maybe you just have one close or two or three close people in your life. Maybe it's 10. Maybe you have 12. Maybe you have 15. Maybe you have 100. It doesn't, it's just natural. It's natural. Who do you naturally associate with and just go with that? Yeah. Um, I, want, I want to respond, and I, that's awesome. I want, to, I want to respond to what Matt said. I wanted to answer the question you were asking, like, is when you hang out with your Buddhist friend, you would die for him, you love him, he loves you, you, you know, all that stuff. Um, and you were asking, is that church? So I would I, I just had two questions I wanted, I wanted to ask you uh, about that. So do, is that church for you? In your mind, is that, do you, do you say to yourself, after it's over, do you say, is that, that community? That felt like church. It, I don't think that in a natural way. If you had to ask me the question, I'd say this is what I think would be the spirit of what I would define as church okay. in in a way, but I just don't naturally see it as that. I just see it as spending time with someone yeah, yeah. that I care so, about. And my, second, and my second question is, when you are hanging out with your friend like that, uh-huh. and, and obviously you keep doing it, so you're, there's something happening there that's really a good thing, that sure. you're, you're, you're both getting something out of it. Sure. Would you say that you and he are experiencing the divine in some sense just by coming together that way? Yes. So I would say that's again for me that's church. Yeah. It, it's 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 people and uh, plus God, right? I, right? I I usually phrase it God plus the people of God. Right. But if you want to reduce it even more, people plus God is church. Like for me, I think you could reduce. So we can church. get rid of the creeds because he. I, I don't want to speak for him because he's not say, here yeah. because he probably wouldn't affirm any of, of the creeds. Now listen, I want to say I want to say that about <laughs> because you said something too, and that, that goes back to what you're saying. That the idea of like beliefs create this in and out thing where you have to be you know, the creeds or, or or a doctrinal statement. That's the reason why our house church doesn't have a statement of faith. 
early on, we were going to have one. We were like, someone said, oh, we should have one. And I was like, oh, I guess, yeah, we need to have one. And I was like, well, let's look at the Apostles' Creed and maybe we'll do the Nicene Creed or something like that. And, um, and then it was very early on, one of the brothers in the house church just said, no, 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 what are you talking about? The minute you do that, and this is historically true, every time the Christian church has tried to bring unity by creating a doctrine or, be, or by creating a statement of faith, it has instead created division. That's why we have thousands of denominations right now. Those things don't create unity, right? And so our, that, that shifted our thinking completely in our house church. So everyone that's in our, in our house church right now, I don't know what they believe because I don't, I don't ask them. And, we don't, and when we're together, we don't focus on doctrine. So we believe all sorts of things. Someone called us once. Someone said, I was trying to describe what, we, what we're, our house church is like. And someone said, oh, you guys are like the miscellaneous Christians of Orange County. I said, yeah, that's right. And we've had Muslims visit our house church. We've had people from some divine light healing cult okay, come and hung out with us for a while. And uh, But yet, when we're coming together, we have communion. We experience God together. We have a, we have a communion together and a, and a connection together. And so uh, I always say for us, um, the, the connection is we're gathering around Christ. For us, that's why we're there. That's the thing we agree on, right? And, I, and for me, I believe that that's what Paul's... Uh, getting on when he says in Galatians that, you know, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Our unity is in Christ. It's yeah. not in our in our beliefs or our doctrines or our opinions. But I those think, things are different. Those things are, those things will uh, But Paul, like. I think Paul's, I look at Paul and what he tried to do, and I don't see it as something I want to emulate. Because what, what part of it do you, would you I, not I kind of do. Speak, well, specifically, well, the, the communities that Paul... The, the churches that Paul spent his life building and working, they were failures. Why would you say, why do you say they're failures? Be, that, that because they had problems. That wasn't Paul's fault. Because no, they had problems. It, it wasn't Paul's fault, but I don't, I just don't think it was natural. I think it's tribalism. Because these, the, what you had is, if you understand, to me, if you understand the gospel, you don't break down into tribes. No, I agree with you on so, that. So, but I think, I, here's where I disagree with you on, on that, just because we only have four minutes left, and I, I want to just say that, say this part. Well, let like, me finish my statement. Hang on. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. The, the reason, to me, the reason, <laughs> if you, if you, all the groups that Paul worked his tail off establishing all left, yeah. they all abandoned the faith. They, I wouldn't say abandoned faith. In his mind, they abandoned the faith. That's but, why I called them foolish or stupid. Yeah, I mean, he, he was pissed. <laughs> He literally, like these groups disbanded. They didn't make it. They, they were only temporary little blips. To me, that is the standard of when you try to create a subset. You try, so we're, we're trying to get back to the New Testament. But if you look at the New Testament, go, well, are you cool with that? <laughs> like, yeah, you're cool with these. these so I wanna, look, I wanna, look at the pattern yeah. of the New Testament churches. They all disbanded after a few years and were like, you know, it, it wasn't sustainable because to me, it's fundamentally unnatural to try to create a subset. And then call that my family. Your family is, are people that you naturally are having relationship with, that you're just moving in direction with the community. It's very natural. You don't have to create it. It just yeah. is. So I, I would, again, uh, I, I agree with you on some senses, but I, I would say, first of all, the idea that oh, Paul started these, uh, these churches and they all failed, they all fall, fell apart. I know a guy, his name is Bob Sears, great guy. I love this guy. He's got this amazing ministry where he goes and he hangs out at AA meetings and he, he befriends people, gets to know people there, makes lifelong friends with these guys that are because he himself went through addictions, and he just continues to go to these AA meetings. And, and he has personally started probably 50 house churches uh, that I'm aware of, maybe more. Um, and, and Bob, however, will tell you, and he's told me, 
he's a failure. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, because I, you know, I, I get these people in, and then they, they come together, and there's this amazing thing, and then they experience all this excitement about Jesus, and, and, they, and then all this stuff happens, and then within a few months, you know, this guy leaves and starts his own group over there, and this guy goes over here, and this guy starts a ministry over there, and then now I'm left with nothing, and then I got to start another one, and I start that one, and then like in six months, that one dies. And then and I'm like, dude, you've planted like 50 churches. Do you understand? Here's the thing about organisms. Organisms have a life cycle. You're doing exactly what you're called to do. Keep doing it. Don't stop. The goal, I, I think it's a Western idea that the goal is that it must last, and after I'm dead, it goes on and spawns 5,000 other things, and oh, look at this huge success. No, it's a living thing. Whatever God is doing, in our, I would say in our house church is an example as well. Over the 11 years, so many people have come and gone in our house church group. And you know what? Um, it has nothing to do with me, right? If someone came into our group and they stay for a while and they, they grow and they mature and, and God does whatever he wants to do, and then God says, you know what? And this has happened. I'm going to, hey, you guys, I want you to go you do this over here and I want, I'm going to move you around. God gets to move the pieces around the way he wants. I think that's actually what 1 Corinthians 12 says. It even says specifically that all the parts of the body uh, are arranged and, and it says that the Lord puts them together the way he wants. And I think sometimes he puts, them, he puts this, this group together for a season. He does what he wants and then, and then they go off and do other things. The life cycle of that group, I think, is, is not an indication of success or failure. I think it, it probably did exactly what it needed to do for as long as it needed to do it. And then... It's a natural thing for it to spread out. Right, and but I don't think, I don't think, I think that's why I think we need to distinguish between community and these things because right. community isn't seasonal. It just, you live in community 24, you live sure. in community all your life. It may look different in different seasons, but again, trying to, you don't have to create that. I think right. a lot of people create churches looking for community. Yeah. And that's where I, so I'll, I will agree with you on this point that I heard a great quote, uh, can't think of the guy's name, but he started a ministry called Solomon's Porch. Some of you guys may know who he is. Solomon's Porch. Anybody? Crickets. That guy. Anyway, that guy, anyway, it was a great quote, and he said something about how, um, he said, don't, he said, if you, if you start a church and your goal is community, the danger is that you'll meet your goal and all you've got is community. In other words, community itself is not a solution for anything, right? Well, no, like, community is often at the expense of another. Right. And so I agree that the, you know, community should be something that's natural. But I also think that community isn't necessarily, um, defined geographically, right? Cause again, we have had people come into our house church group that came for a season and, and now went out and they're doing other things and they're not physically coming and gathering with us, but I'm still connected to them, right? They're still part of the community. They're still a part of the body of Christ. They're still, there's exactly the relationship yeah. has not ended. Right. Yeah. Um, I, and I also agree that the idea of sort of artificially trying to to force something to create something, no, that doesn't work. Um, I think letting things happen, letting things be, um, letting people decide for themselves if this is something they want to be a part of or not, yeah. um, those are things that are, I think are healthier. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I also don't think there's any perfect thing where – this is the perfect way to do it. Again, I've got the way I prefer to do it, and I've done it that, that's been life to me and to people that I'm in, in community with and, and uh, connection yeah, to. I mean, yeah, as long as you as long as you realize this is not the like blueprint sure. for it. Because I would I would honestly like just my own shit that I have, like I think I'd be really uncomfortable <laughs> in your church. Just, and that's cool though. And that, but that's yes, me. That's totally that, cool. So it's like I have lots of friends who don't go to my house church and yeah. I, and that's cool. Yeah. Because it's yeah. not for everybody. I got right. it. Yeah. Right. 
But yours would be unique, I think, in that because most churches just want you to come. That's why they put those signs on there right. that you yeah. just scare the shit out of you. <laughs> or at least where I'm at, like I had, I saw one that said eternity has two choices. Which one? You know, yeah, yeah, or no, yeah, life yeah. has many choices. Eternity has two. And I was like, Yeah, what is this? Like, yeah. like is this really? I mean, this can't be a church, but yeah. Yeah. The, the real the real question is what is it what does it mean to someone come to your church? What does that mean even? Does that mean they come to your meeting? Then that's then we're defining the church by a meeting, which I think is problematic. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, well, someone's not a part of my church. Well, how do you know they're not a part of your church? Is it because they don't come to your meeting or they don't believe a certain thing? So what if we just drop all that yeah. and say, Well, there's certain people I experience community with, and there's certain people that I don't. And let's just leave it at that because friends have community with each other. If you're friends with people, you have community with them. Right. You may hang out. You may get together for dinner. You may watch a movie together. All these kinds of things. We're getting played off. I think we're getting played Look at off. That. Holy shit. And I'd like to thank uh, the Academy and my, my mom. <laughs> we'll have a Q&A coming up. Yes, so we will. We'll have a break. The adventure get some continues. donuts, pizza. If there's booze left. Oh, yeah, that's still left. Yeah. Awesome. And then come Thanks, back. Guys. We'll do a Q&A. Yeah.